0: Luke chapter 22, I'd like to begin reading in verse 39, and we'll read down to verse 45. Luke chapter 22, verse number 39. The Bible says, and he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us come and be in this place. How precious it is, Lord, uh, to gather here with your people and uh, to be able to preach to them, Lord, and to hear preaching, and have You stir and work in our life and in our midst, Lord, I pray for all these requests that have been given. Surely my mind would fail me to mention only even a fraction of them. But Lord, there's not a one of them that's fallen to the ground. Every one of them, Your divine attention has scooped up and filed and placed perfectly and providentially right where it needs to be. And Lord, we know that Your heart yearns to deal and work in our lives in these matters. So help us to be patient to be obedient. Lord, help us to be circumspect and diligent and observant in our lives that we might see not only your work in these matters, but your work in us through these matters and that we might grow and develop in our walk with you. Lord, bless the preaching tonight. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his precious name. Amen. In Luke chapter 22, we come to the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve of our Lord's crucifixion. This is probably one of the most intimate moments in all of Scripture. We find the Lord Jesus praying with great intensity, with great sincerity, and with great passion over the matter of his impending crucifixion. Uh, Scholars and theologians and men with more education than me have argued endlessly about what that cup is and what that cup signifies and what that cup means. Some have suggested he's talking about Calvary itself. Others have took issue with that, saying that He promised he wouldn't pray to be delivered from that hour and rather he's talking about Satan's affliction and oppression of him in that moment in the garden. Others have suggested he's speaking of the cup of God's wrath because of uh, the dregs of sin being poured out upon him. And, you know, we could probably spend all evening tonight just examining different perspectives on that. But rather than examine and parse through the meaning of that cup necessarily, I want us to look at our Lord's approach to the topic of prayer. Let me make a confession to you tonight. There's a lot more that I don't know about prayer than there is that I do know about prayer. Prayer is, I think, one of the great mysteries in the economy of the Christian life. You know, I'll tell you this, maybe and probably, I won't just say maybe, in fact, I won't even say probably, I will say certainly, we'd all understand prayer more if we'd pray more. Amen. And it's a lack of prayer, I think, that often contributes to this misunderstanding or lack of knowledge of the inner workings of prayer. But I do think, even feeble as we are in our prayer lives, that if we'll go to the, uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane with the Lord Jesus and just look at Him as our pattern, as our ensample, as our example, if we will look at Him as a pattern of sufferings and of supplication, I think we will find in many ways some truths that will inform our prayer life. The Hebrews writer described this moment of crisis in the Lord's earthly ministry and said that through his submission to the Father and his obedience to the Father, God was making the captain of our salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, why does the Bible use that terminology in Hebrews 5, 7, the captain of our salvation? Because he's the one that leads us. What do the rest of the troops do? Well, they do what the captain tells them, and they do what the captain does. And so as our captain is charging through the breach in the matter of intense and earnest prayer in Luke chapter 22, I think as foot soldiers, we can look at what he did and say, if I can pray like that, then I will have prayed in a meaningful way. When we catalog what our Lord did on this evening, I find seven truths about prayer. Don't get nervous, amen. Amen. Seven truths about prayer that I want us to notice. And really, we're just going to catalog these and just tuck them into our lives and into our hearts and let the Holy Spirit speak to us as he would be pleased to do. Notice with me verse number 39. The Bible says this, and he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives and his disciples also followed him. Say, preacher, what's so profound about prayer in this simple boilerplate informative verse that merely is transitioning from the previous scene to the current scene? Well, it's, it's summed up in a little four-phrase, four-word phrase in the middle of that verse. I want you to notice it. The Bible says he went, notice these next four words, as he was want. Tells me this, this wasn't his first trip to the garden. Wasn't his first trip to the prayer closet. Now you say, well, preacher, of course that is true. The Bible records for us several occasions when our Lord prayed and even went away for a season of prayer. Yes, but I want you to notice that this is highlighting not just what we do know, but what we did not know and telling us that it was a pattern in his life to get away and pray and talk to the Father. Can I tell you what we're all guilty of? Well, I don't know if you are. You're probably more spiritual than me. I'll tell you what I'm guilty of. I'm guilty of, when it comes to prayer, just hitting a lick at it occasionally when I feel the need to do so. Many of us, we treat prayer the same way that people treat New Year's resolution gym memberships. We get all excited about it. Some preacher get up, preach a message, it stirs our hearts, and and we get convicted about it and we say, boy, I'm going to finally get my prayer life right. And then we go and we maintain prayer for, you know, maybe a few days, maybe a few weeks, and then all of a sudden we slip back into the same old habits. Now, I don't say it to chastise you or to charge you. I just merely to say this tonight, that successful prayer is steadfast prayer. It's consistent prayer. This is true with anything in life. One of the things you'll find about all those people that quit at the gym, we're all fat. Amen. You know why? Because it don't happen overnight. It takes consistent application of the principle To see the fruit and the result that we are desiring. Now you say, well now wait a minute preacher. There's been times that in moments of great need I've cried out to God and he's answered. And imagine how many answered prayers could have happened. If you'd been willing to be consistent in your prayer life. I will tell you this, that the things that we think are big some. Let me tell you, and and I'm not trying to be dismissive. Understand, I know when it's your crisis, it's a crisis. I understand when you're in the middle of it, it's a big thing. And and that's true for me as well as for you. But the things the Lord's praying about on this night, they're deep things. He's not just praying for God to pay a bill. He's not just praying for a good doctor's report. He's literally praying around the matter of the redemption of man and the precious value of his life. He's praying about the most important things that can be prayed about. I think often in our lives, the reason we are so... Uh, intermittent in our prayer life is because we only ever care to pray about carnal things Now, understand when I say carnal i don't mean sinful I mean earthly temporal things, things that often God encourages us of course to bring to him but what what the Bible presents as being merely the garnish on a greater more more fulfilling meal we 've made the substance we only come to God when we want some temporal uh, temporal matter solved, and then we wonder why our prayer life lacks. Any depth we find in this he's praying and it ain't the first time he's been here. He's gone at that phrase as he was wont," You know what it means? It was his habit to do this. This was not he knew where to go. It's interesting to think that they're traveling at night, of course. And, uh, you know, likely they probably had torches and they probably had those things. But I will tell you this, that the Lord Jesus was so consistent in his journey in this fashion. He probably could have made that journey without needing the light. He probably could have just gone that way because he had the steps memorized. And I'll tell you in your life, and I say all that to make this application. If the only time you pray, well, let me say it different. If you're only praying in the light occasionally, you're going to struggle to pray when it gets real dark. If your prayer life, when things are light in your life are Or just Lord bless this food and Lord give us traveling mercies and Lord pay this bill and Lord, Lord help our prayer, you know, our, our, our health checkup to go well and whatever it might be. If if that's the extent of it, then when it gets real dark, you're going to have trouble finding the garden. He was going there consistently. One of the things we learn from the life of the Lord Jesus is that he prayed about everything. He didn't just pray about big things. He prayed about everything. And it's apparent when you study through his earthly ministry that he did not view prayer. And I want to be careful how I say this. He did not view prayer solely as an activity, but equally as much as a disposition in his attitude towards his heavenly father. You say, what do you mean by that preacher? Well, there were seasons he went away, but he never really was not away. There were times when he secluded himself and and purposed himself to the activity of prayer, But he just talked to his father like he was there because he was. He did not try to compartmentalize his prayer life in such a neat way that he might be able to check a box on a to-do list and then move on from it. In those moments of intense seclusion in prayer, he was battling big, deep things. But the reason he was able to do that is because in his everyday life, he was steadfast in the matter of prayer. He wasn't just doing it occasionally when need arose, but consistently. Successful prayer is steadfast. Notice verse 40 with me. The Bible says this, when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. Now, a statement could be made here, and I'm going to go ahead and make it. It's not in my message, so I'm not going to charge you for this. All right. Don't worry. You can take me off the clock for a minute. Uh, it could be said successful prayer is shared. And I do think there's some truth to that. I do think that what we're doing here is not just a more streamlined way of doing prayer requests. We do this so that you might take these cards and go home and labor in prayer about these matters because it's a biblical principle that we join together in prayer over things. But the point I want you to notice in verse 40 is the warning he gives to his apostles. He says, pray that ye enter not into temptation. We could say it this way. Pay attention because it's a dangerous situation you're entering into. Can I say it this way? Successful prayer is sober. It recognizes the cost and recognizes the danger that is associated with getting serious about prayer in your life. Can I tell you something? It's not an accident that when you get serious about God, the devil gets serious with you. It's not an accident that when you make up your mind that you want to do something for God, all of a sudden it feels like all hell sets itself against you. Because very often when you purpose yourself to do something for God, that gets the devil's attention. And I would say this, that the Lord Jesus, in warning them in this moment, he's reminding them that prayer is not a recreation hall. It's a battlefield. It's, it's not a leisurely activity. It's laboring in the work of the Lord. And that when you set about to pray, you've got to remain sober because the devil will do everything he can to try to destroy you and can I tell you that's really the, I, there's probably several things if we were to go through the Bible, but you want my opinion. I don't guess you came to church for it, but I'm going to give it anyway. Prayer is the thing that scares the devil the most. Prayer is the most direct connection we have to God in our Christian life. It terrifies Him when we pray. And the Lord Jesus, He's warning His disciples because He understands that beginning and engaging in this activity of prayer, it's not going to alleviate the danger, it's going to intensify the danger. It's not a reason to let your guard down, it's a reason to perk your ears up and start paying attention to what's happening around you. Often in our lives, we get disheartened and discouraged from prayer, but you know what we're more apt to do? We're more apt to get distracted from it. Well, I'm going to get serious about it now. And then all of a sudden, some crisis comes into our life. And we probably do pray about that a little while. But then we get so consumed with trying to work our way through it that we cease coming to the Lord about it. And it just fades into the background. I wonder sometimes, you know, the Bible says one of these days we'll get to heaven. We'll know even as also we're known. That scares me a little. (laughs) It scares me to think that one day I'm going to look at my life the way God has looked at my life. And I'm going to see myself the way God sees me. And one of these days, I wonder, I wonder if we won't set up in heaven and look back at the way that we've lived and think to ourselves, how could I have been so blind to not see the connection between my commitment to God and the affliction that I endured and went through? I would say this, successful prayer is a sober thing. But then look at verse 41 with me. The Bible says this, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down prayed. One of the things that strikes me as I read this passage of scripture is just how alone the Lord was on this night. Now, he has his disciples with him, but they immediately fall asleep. And humanly speaking, there's an angel sent from heaven to strengthen him. But as far as an earthly friend and, and an earthly co-laborer and an ally in this matter of prayer, there wasn't nearly area one. He looked, he listened for him to pray, and all he heard was snoring. And there he is, alone by himself, laboring in this matter of prayer. And it's a reminder to me that successful prayer is solitary. Now you'll say, when well, I wait a minute, preacher, you just got through telling me that successful prayer is shared prayer. That's true. We need to share our prayer needs with one another, and we need to use discernment, and discretion, and be wise about it. We need to make sure we're doing it in sincerity. But we need to share our needs one with another. But it's a reminder of this. Ain't nobody going to pray for you in your stead. He had to go himself onto the field of battle and take up in this holy activity of of prayer and of spiritual warfare. Nobody else was doing it for him. I'll tell you something smites my heart. If you've been around any length of time, you've heard me say this or something like this, but. It convicts my heart to think of the times that I've asked others to pray about things I'm not praying about. Because, you know, it's become just common language. Hey, pray about this. Hey, pray for this. Hey, if you think, too, would you pray about this thing? How often do we ask people to pray about things we're not even praying about? (laughs) Why would God answer in that matter? God's a gracious God. Certainly, there's been times he's answered prayers that people prayed for me. That I didn't have sense enough to pray myself. And I'll not limit God's mercy and his His compassion and his benevolence. But I will just tell you this. This type of prayer is something that has to be done in a solitary sense. No one will do it for you. No one will do it instead of you. You yourself are going to have to go in about this matter of prayer. He pulled himself away from them and. Again, probably time would fail us and probably my feeble mind would fail us to explore all that's implied in that, both literally as far as his intentions in that action and also figuratively in regards to the singular proprietary character of the Lord Jesus that nobody's ever prayed like he prayed. And even when others were praying, him praying was different than how they prayed. But suffice it to say... Tonight, if you're going to get serious about prayer, you're going to have to pray whether anybody prays with or for you or not. He didn't say, well, they're not praying. Why should I pray? He didn't say, well, I'll only pray if I can gather a group of people around me to feel sorry for me and pat me on the shoulder, and tell me how sorry they are that things is going that way. No, he understood. He knew he's God. He knew the moment that they were awake. He knew the moment they fell asleep. And none of it changed whether he was praying. When he stopped and went, and awaken them. It wasn't because he was scared to be praying alone. It was because they needed to wake up and be praying themselves. And in your life and in my life. We're just going to have to reckon with the fact. That there's going to be some matters that we can't share. There's going to be some things we can't tell others about. There's going to be some things we won't even know how to articulate to other people. And then there'll be things that often that we'll share with people. And they won't they won't carry the same burden about it that we do. And if your prayer life is contingent upon having this, this, this band of people that will join together with you, I think it's biblical that people do. But if you get serious about prayer, you'll pray whether anybody's praying. I would say this successful prayer, it's steadfast, it's sober, it's solitary. But look at verse 42. The Bible says this, this is what he prayed. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Again, we would, we could spend all evening just talking about that cup. But can I just notice that he is praying for something that's vulnerable. He's praying for something that's difficult. You can read the Hebrews account of how this was defined, how the Hebrews writer described this moment and what he's asking for, that it was with much crying and tears and anguish that he prayed this. This was not a superficial veneer. This was something that was raw and something that was plain and something that was truthful and vulnerable. And it leads me to say this successful prayer is sincere. I wonder how often God's waiting for us to quit messing around and start getting truthful with him about something that we're praying about. <laughs> you know, I'm just talking about me. I don't know if that's true. I guess if it's true about you say amen, but I, it's true about me. wonder how many times that I'm talking to God. And I'm trying to hem and haw and beat around the bush and pretend like I'm something I'm not and refusing to admit my weakness, my fears, my vulnerabilities. And all the while, God's sitting there saying, you know, I'm here when you're ready to get honest about this. I'm here when you're ready to tell me what, what you're really thinking, what you're really feeling, and what you're really going through. One of the great things about our Lord's example here in this passage is he doesn't mince words. We could also say this, it's not in the message, but I think it goes along with it. Successful prayer is specific. He asks exactly what he wants in as plain language as he can ask it. Your prayer life is always going to languish if you won't get real with the Lord. God's not interested in helping you be a hypocrite. He's not interested in helping this 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 play acting thing that we so often do in our walk with the Lord of of going to him and refusing to be sincere and refusing to be transparent and refusing to be honest. He has no interest in helping us with that. And he cannot help us if we are that way. It's going to take honesty. No man ever got saved without admitting they were a sinner. Nobody ever got help without admitting they were broken. Nobody ever got what they needed without getting honest with God in the first place. I would say successful prayer is sincere. But then notice the end of this verse, probably the most familiar portion of it. He says this, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Some people have erroneously looked at this passage and said, well, he didn't get his prayer answered. This was a failed prayer. He asked for something and God said no. But I don't think that's true. He expressed his desire. But then he took that desire and put it directly in subjection to the will of his father. And here's what he said. He said, I want this if you want this, God. I want this if you want this. If you don't want it, God, I don't want it. But if you want it, it's something that I want. Why can we not learn this in our lives? Again, I'm preaching at me tonight. Why can I not learn to do this in my life? To say, Lord, this is my desire. I'll just tell you what I want. But I'll tell you this. I don't want it more than I want you. I don't want it more than I want your will. And I'd say this successful prayer is submissive. In fact, if you, if you will submit every prayer you pray to God, you'll never have a prayer go unanswered. And you might say, well, preacher, it's a parlor trick. It's a, it's a mind game. We're just setting ourselves up to believe that it goes uh, according to God's will no matter what happens. I don't believe the Lord was doing that. I believe if the Father had opened heavens and said, I found a way, you don't have to drink of the cup. I believe he wouldn't have drank of it. I believe when push came to shove, and by the way, he reminds his disciples that he could have called legions of angels... It was within his power to do that. I don't just mean he he could have asked the father. He could have commanded them if he had so chosen. Not only that, he could have asked the father and the father would have sent them. In fact, I would say it this way. If Jesus, and this may not be true of you and of me, but knowing the relationship that Christ had with the father and his authority as God himself, if he had not put that phrase at the very end, the father wouldn't have made him drink of the cup. The Father wouldn't, you and I'd be in hell if he hadn't said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. In your prayer life, you really want your prayer life to grow deeper, not just wider. (laughs) We live in a world where our prayer life is ever growing wider. If you talk about the Lord out in public, you will be inundated with people. They're not interested in your gospel. They're not interested in your church. They're not interested in your Bible, but they are interested in your prayers. I remember years ago, and, and and by the way, don't ever get mad at Miss Regina if this ever happens to you, but when we set up our prayer list and we send that out once a week to people that want to receive it, I told Regina, because she's the one that handles it, I said, now, Regina, we've got to have some limitations on the prayer list because we've got to make sure the stuff we put on there, number one, can be answered. All right, If we're just praying for everyone to be healthy, that ain't never going to come off the prayer list. And, and the second thing was it has to be something that we can find out the answer to. Because I we, you'd have people that come up to you and say, Uh, you know, preacher, uh, somebody I bumped into, I talked to this lady down at the Food City and, and she's got a son that's sick and asked me to put uh, their son on the prayer list. Well, if you know how to get a hold of the lady down at the Food City, by all means, we'll pray about it. Amen. But it wouldn't take long before our prayer list would be, Four million items long, and no one would take the time to pray through it because it would be an impossibility. And so, you know, we set those sort of of lines up that, that that we have to in our prayer list. You know, we have to make sure these are things we can follow up with; otherwise, the list will grow out of control and it'll negate the purpose of the list in the first place. You say, Pre- preacher, what are you getting at? I'm saying this: we have we have been led to believe that because our prayer is growing wide, that it's growing deep. And those are not the same things. I wonder if we ever, I wonder when the last time was that you spent your whole prayer time on one thing because it was that important. I hope you have a list. I hope you use the church list. I hope I'm on your list. I hope if you got five lists, if you got one at the office, one at the house, one by the recliner, one in the bathroom, pray for me in the bathroom. I don't care. You spend most of your time in there, pray for me. Amen. Amen. (laughs) I'm not against having a prayer list, mind you. I'm just saying there's a difference between it growing wide and growing deep. And the Lord Jesus, hey, listen, you want to see your prayer life grow deep? End every prayer with, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And don't forget about it. Don't let it just merely be a, a, a tag that you put on the end, some ceremonial, formalistic language. But then in your life, start looking at how God answers your prayers And understand what the will of the Lord is in light of it. Successful prayer, it's submissive. Notice verse 43, the Bible says this, there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. I'd say this, successful prayer is spiritual. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, it is spiritual in nature. We in our lives, often because we are so shallow in our prayer life, the greatest obstacle that we have in praying is our eyelids. They start to droop. We start to we have the apostles syndrome, right? We're praying and we start to doze off. And we start to forget if it ain't our eyelids, it's probably the TV or it's probably the novel or it's probably the phone. And distractions are the chief thing that often drag us away from our commitment to prayer. But I would say this, that if we will be consistent enough in prayer that we begin to feel spiritual fatigue, we'll begin to experience the spiritual strength that God gives to carry out the work. Part of the reason prayer is so undynamic to us is because we are so casual in it. The Lord was not casual in his prayer. And therefore, he enjoyed the spiritual strength that came from engaging in this activity of prayer. I'm a big fitness nut. You know that about me. Um, I'm a runner. I don't know if you were aware of that. I'm a long distance runner. Hey, these things go on audio, and they don't see me. All right, so <laughs> somebody's somebody's gonna walk in this church and walk up to some real fit person, shake their hand, and say, "Preacher Weber, it's good to finally meet you. Been listening to your messages for years online." He's gonna say, "No, it's that fat guy over there. That's the that's the pastor." And he's just gonna turn around, and walk out, and say, "That guy's a liar," you know. They say people that run, and I don't think there's any excuse to run if you're not being chased, but people that run, they talk about a thing called a runner's high. And they'll say when you're running, you begin to get tired. But if you'll push through and keep running, the endorphins will begin to be released in your body and you'll get a second wind. And a lot of runners, actually, that's part of the reason when people get involved in it, they they stick with it is because. They begin to enjoy that that feeling of euphoria that they get when they're running that 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 exhilarating feeling. So I'm told, but you don't get that walk into the fridge and back. I've never experienced runners high. All right, I, I say no to drugs. Amen. And I don't think you have to worry about me getting hooked on it. But you know, in our life, in our prayer life, part of the reason is so dead and dull and boring. Is because all we ever do is pray about, you know, a handful of things that we're not even really paying attention to. We spend 10, 15 minutes, then we walk away from it. We never labor in prayer, so we never get tired in prayer, so we never enjoy spiritual strength in prayer. I would say successful prayer is spiritual. And finally, and I'll be done tonight, verse 44, Bible says being an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I'm really not sure what is implied by this. I'll be honest with you. The plain language to me of this verse does not say he sweat drops of blood. It says that his sweat was as it were great drops of blood. Which would almost seem to imply that he was sweating like cut men bleed. But if I got to heaven and found out that in fact as he sweat, he sweat with such intensity that blood vessels burst and And he began to sweat blood and doctors have explanations as to how this could happen. But I think the thing that is being expressed in verse 44 is this. He left a piece of himself on the prayer ground. And I will tell you this, successful prayer is sacrificial. It'll cost you something. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you leisurely activity. It'll cost you attention. Sometimes it'll cost you more than that. I'm not suggesting that we purchase God's attention through sacrifice. I am saying that we probably can't really engage in the act of prayer without it costing us something. It's not that God looks down and says, oh, I'm so impressed that you care so much. It's that if we're not willing to give something up, where's there any evidence that we care at all? So many of us have just sought to. Take our life, you can think of your life like a sphere of activity or think of it like a daily planner. And our Christianity has to fit neatly within the columns and spaces that it can safely occupy without crowding anything else out. And if it can't do that, then it's what's got to go and not our other interests. And then we're shocked that God doesn't bless that. We're shocked that God doesn't move on and in that kind of life. But nowhere did God say, I will just be a casual companion of your life. Pencil me in wherever I don't disrupt your hobbies and interests. God instead says, I'll be your everything. And if you'll make me your everything, I'll take care of everything else. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost me something. I've not yet attained. I'm not already perfect, but I want to follow after. My prayer life don't look like this. Church, it don't. I'll be honest with you. It don't look like this. There's maybe areas that look more like it than others. But it don't look like it, it looked for the Lord in the guard. But all it needs to. And I want it to. And I want by God's help and grace for it to be that way. I think the Lord, I don't think this is a failed prayer. I think this is a pattern for prayer that we need in our lives. Let's bow together as a musician will come and play. The altar is open. If God spoke to your heart, would you meet him down here in the altar? Let him have his will and way. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. If we don't mean that in our actions, we won't mean it in our words. And so if God's spoken to you about something, would you meet him down here? Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. May he be pleased. Lord, I love you. And I ask it in Christ's name.